You're listening to Penny Dreadfuls from the Moth Sanctuary. You look like you could use a lift, sir. From his position on the pavement, huddled under a shop-front awning to shield himself from the increasing rain, Jacob turned to the voice that had called to him, and found it came from a slender young man atop a stagecoach. Though it was offering him a safe harbour from the downpour, it was not a welcoming voice. In fact, it held more of a cold, pragmatic tone that Jacob would have found to be mocking on any other day. But the rain looked like it was only in its early stages. It was still quite a distance back to his hotel, and it was already so late that the lamplighters were setting the gaslights for the night. The sooner he made it back to the hotel, the sooner he could get to sleep, and then tomorrow he'd be out of the city, heading back home. He placed his Atashi case over his head and stepped out from the awning towards the waiting coach. He called up a word of thanks to the driver and told him he was heading for the Blower's House Hotel. The driver said he knew it and bade Jacob to climb inside the cab. Jacob had barely closed the door behind him when the coach started moving and he nearly fell into the lap of a young woman sat in the reverse-facing seat behind the driver. Forgive me, I didn't realise there was anyone else in here, Jacob said, taking his own seat opposite her. It's quite all right, the girl replied, smiling. My name is Penny, she said, and extended a gloved hand. He shook it and introduced himself in return. Hardly the weather to be walking in the street, is it? She spoke with a high, clear voice that brimmed with excitement and shone through the gloom of the day like a lighthouse. It made Jacob wonder when that same enthusiastic spark had left him. Not at all. Thank goodness the driver found me. After the day I've had, I don't think I could face any more struggles. The girl pulled a sympathetic face. I'm sorry to hear that. Might I ask what happened? As much as the events of the day had weighed heavily on his mood only a few minutes ago, the girl's easy-going and friendly manner made the whole affair seem less important. Oh, it was nothing, he said casually. I travelled to the city this morning especially to deliver a business proposition to some investors, but it didn't go very well. He tilted his head back, rested it against the wall, and sighed out a breath which took a lot of his worry with it. Just being out of the rain and talking to this bright young lady had done much to lift his spirit. Well, there's always next time, she offered. My brother said that opportunities will always present themselves. You just have to make sure that you seize the right ones when they do, and never stop trying to find them. He sounds wise. Jacob said, smiling. Penny scoffed. (laughs) Not really. But he does have his moments. And when he sets his mind to something, he's very good at seeing it through. Jacob nodded. Are you going far? She asked. 
to a place called Blower's House. I need to check into my room there. Honestly, I can't wait to set my head down on a dry pillow and wake up ready to start my journey home tomorrow. How about you? I'm going to Archer Hill. Jacob shrugged. Is that far? Sorry, I'm not from the city. The girl nodded with a laugh. <laughs> Quite a bit further than Blower's house. I wouldn't want to walk it, that's for sure. She glanced out of the window. The rain was falling with greater urgency now, and it clattered against the glass like stones on a path. Outside, the river passed by them rapidly. Penny sat up slightly to get a better look. Although, I don't know of a route to either place that would take us along the waterfront. Her brow furrowed, puzzled. Why has he taken us this way? Jacob suddenly became more alert, and looked out of the opposite window for any signs that he should be wary of. There was hardly anyone else out, and the further they travelled, the more secluded their surroundings seemed to be. The coach came up next to a small bridge and stopped. They felt the weight of the compartment shift as the driver jumped down from his seat and onto the cobbled street. Jacob moved his body in front of the girl who was now breathing hard enough that he could see it on the air. The grim figure of the driver came into view through their window. He stood a few steps away from them and was looking around to see if they were being observed. Jacob saw he had a club in his hands. He told Penny to try the handle of the door behind her, but though the handle moved, it remained fastened shut. Not sure of what else to do, Jacob grabbed his case and brought it up in front of him to act as a makeshift barrier. It might just provide them with enough protection to avoid serious harm. It could maybe even function as a rudimentary ram to push back the driver and give them enough of a chance to run. Either way, it was all they had. He watched as the driver approached them and whispered to Penny to stay behind him. She clutched his shoulder. No need, she said, and her dainty hands slipped a blade into his ribs quickly. So fast, he almost didn't register it. He gasped as she withdrew it, and stabbed once more, slightly higher this time. As she twisted it, the blood flowed more freely. Jacob tried to turn to her, stiff against the pain, eyes wide with shock, but he simply slumped down to the floor. The door opened, and that grim driver with the unpleasant voice quickly brought the cudgel down upon Jacob's head in two quick, hard strokes, closing the passenger's eyes forever. The two conspirators quickly rifled through Jacob's belongings, stealing everything that could be of use. They left his clothes, clothes were easily identifiable, and they didn't know if the local fences would be able to sell them. Even if they did, they didn't want anyone in a position to link their faces to stolen wares. Anonymity was their friend. They were pleased to find that his wallet was full of carrying cash that would have been required for his short stay. When they broke open his case, they found a fine-looking pen which Penny kept, 
but otherwise it was only full of papers. Papers filled with Jacob's dream. Papers meticulously constructed with long nights of research. Hours where he poured his passion into every page. Sheet after sheet that was carefully fashioned to stand the best chance of making that dream manifest. The siblings tossed them over the bridge, into the water. Once they were done searching his body, the author followed. The dreamer and the dream, gone. Penny and her brother Samuel then resumed their places and whipped the horses along, slipping away from the stage of their crime as they had done countless times before. It was a scheme that had been working for them for years, ever since their father had passed away and left them his coach. They had attempted to run the cab legitimately at first, but it wasn't enough to make ends meet, and Penny was not content to be a helpless spectator in her own life, allowing her brother to provide for them while she sat around unable to do anything other than starve. When she found out that she could be charming, and people trusted her enough to allow her to get in close, the plan started formulating. It was a perfect arrangement, and it allowed the brother and sister to survive. Not every passenger was a victim. They always chose wisely, ensuring no alarms would be raised. They preyed on travellers, people they found on the roads between towns, or those who were simply stopping for a night. People who wouldn't be missed until it was too late. When the scrutiny got to be too intense, they simply moved on to another place, seamlessly blending in with all the other cabs, hiding in plain sight. To this day, they had never been detected or even suspected. Despite the swathes of bodies that they would leave behind, no one in any territory had ever connected them to a crime. They were either left unsolved or covered up. Once a prominent killer who had dispatched similar types of victims and also worked in a trade was blamed for five of the siblings' murders in one city. The siblings laughed whenever they thought of that. Good riddance to a bad man, they thought. Something doesn't feel right, Samuel told her a while after their murder of Jacob, as they were sitting in the cab enjoying the food his money had afforded them. I feel like we should move on. Penny looked up at him, puzzled. Already? But he was only our second here. But add him to the three we took when we were here a couple of years ago, and he's five. I don't know. I've just got a sense that someone's going to figure it out. I think we should move on before they have any more to go on. Penny wrinkled her nose. She didn't want to have to move on again, especially after arriving so soon. But she knew her brother's intuition on these things was remarkably sharp. He was like a tracker dog, catching a scent, and it was his instincts that had kept them undetected so far. He knew where to go, how long to stay there, and just which marks were the right ones to dispatch. Nevertheless, Samuel saw her sulky expression. How about this? You can choose where we go next, 
I won't interfere, he said in an attempt to placate her. You mean you won't try to change my mind? No bad feeling stuff to stop us from going? She asked. He swore it. She agreed. They pulled out their map and surveyed all the potential new hunting grounds. Penny looked for anywhere in particular that they hadn't been. A place where they could spend at least a few weeks and not have to worry about any history that might shorten their stay. There weren't many left. Over to the west, she found what she had been looking for. A small town that she had never heard of, let alone visited. There, she decreed, stamping her finger down. White Raven. Samuel hadn't heard of it either. But as he looked at where her finger was pointing, that unmistakable wave of worry passed over him. Those survival instincts were crying out harder than they ever had before, all of them telling him to stay away. But he had sworn, so he agreed. It took them several days to be able to navigate the roads, but their journey was problem-free. No one seemed interested in taking any notice of them, and they were able to keep themselves to themselves. It was just the way they liked it. As they got closer to their destination, they found that traces of the modern world gradually started to fade away, and they were in the middle of a dense wooded road. From what Samuel could read on the map, they should have arrived already. But the sun had now set, and there was no trace of a settlement anywhere near them. The only light was what the moon shone through the clouds and the lamps that hung from the coach. Are we lost? Penny asked impatiently. No, I know where we are. The road's just a little longer than the map shows. Penny held the map close to the lamp. I don't know. Take another look and just make sure, because I can't see what you're seeing. Samuel sniffed hard, then pulled the horses to a stop curtly before shuffling over to his sister's side to examine the map, hoping against hope that she was wrong. Now that the wheels had halted and the sound of hooves was ceased, the silence of the woods was amplified. The quiet was unnerving and put Samuel on edge. He tried to ignore it and focus on the map. The siblings both gasped, as the quiet was disturbed by the sound of the coach door opening behind them, and they felt the seasick rock as something climbed in. Samuel grabbed his cudgel from the footwell, and Penny's hand went straight for her knife. I'm sure it's just an animal, Samuel whispered. Penny looked at him doubtfully. One that can open a door? Samuel took one of the lamps and jumped down. The door had swung closed, but it was still off the latch, so he opened it with the end of his club and shone the light in. A part of him was hoping it was just an animal, but there, in the rear seat, was an old beggar, wrapped up in rags. They wore a dirty bandage around their eyes, which obscured their face but what was visible was old, 
emaciated, rotten, and ugly. Oi! Samuel called in, temper flaring. Out you come, we're not taking fares this evening. The beggar then spoke. Spare a ride for these old bones. It would be the kind thing to do. Are you kind? Their voice was an unpleasant rumble, like the creaking of metal. Every word seemed to risk snagging in their throat before it escaped. Penny saw that Samuel was ready to give in to his temper, but realizing it would be a poor start to their time in White Raven if they drew attention to themselves before they'd even arrived, she stepped forward. Please, she said, stepping into the coach and taking the seat opposite. She instantly regretted it, as laying eyes on the figure filled her with revulsion. It's not that we're unkind, but you must understand that we've had a very long journey, and we're tired, and there's still so much we need to arrange before we get to White Raven. We'd like to be able to simply focus on that. The beggar's head shifted unpleasantly as they listened, like a bird tracking food. White Raven, you say? (sighs) Good people in White Raven, yes. Not many guests, no, no. You're lost, aren't you? (sighs) That makes sense. Not many can make it. Only the good ones can come. The vagrant was mumbling more to themselves now. What do you mean, not many can make it? Why not? Penny asked them. Only the good can come, only the kind. Are you kind? They asked again. I still don't understand. Why only the good? Because of the horsemen, the beggar said, with a grin that revealed blackened teeth. He judges all that come this way. He rides through the night looking for those who travel this road, and all who see him must face his wrath. He has done so for centuries. The only way to spare yourself from his judgment is by crossing the bridge into White Raven before he catches you. Though very few ever do, I hear them all. Penny's hand trembled. She knew the story was ridiculous, but her nerves got the best of her. The beggar then took a deep breath that rattled as it went in. The scent of blood in here. Both Penny and Samuel's eyes flashed in surprise. Lakes of it. Blood upon the floor. In the creases of the seats. On fingers. On eyelashes. In haunted dreams. They moved their face forward and fixed a gaze upon Penny with eyes they were unable to see. I wonder what he'll judge when he finds you, 
Panicking, Penny pulled out her knife and stabbed at the beggar repeatedly, thrusting the blade into the rags and gasping out frightened breaths as she did so. The shocked Samuel eventually followed her lead and swung his club down upon the beggar, who only laughed at their effort. After Penny brought her hands back several times, she found that she was pulling the rags back with her. Samuel's cudgel was only being brought down onto fabric. The beggar was gone, as if they had never been there at all. The siblings were now breathing hard, staring in disbelief at what they had witnessed. They stood frozen for a moment, unable to comprehend anything else. That was when they heard the neighing of a horse behind them. Samuel stared as far as he could back down the road. The darkness obscured everything. But he could hear the sound of hooves, and they were getting closer. Penny heard it too. Dropping his cudgel, Samuel jumped back up into the driving seat and took up the reins, urging the horses forward. He wasn't willing to wait and find out if it was the apparition from the beggar's story. Even above the sound of their stagecoach, he could still hear the approach of their pursuer's pace, moving faster than his horses were able to due to the weight of the coach. He could only continue to push them, follow the road, and hoped they reached the town soon. A yell ricocheted around the woods, sinister and purposeful. Something struck the back of the coach, making Penny screech from inside. Samuel snuck a glance behind to see how much distance there was between the horseman and the coach, only to find the shadowy figure of the rider beside them, his horse moving with ease. Samuel cried out and whipped the horses more. They turned a corner, and through the darkness of the night he saw the indeterminate shape of a covered bridge coming up on their left. With a new zeal, he raced harder towards it. One of the wheels hit a rock on the road with enough force that it sent Penny tumbling out of the coach door, but she managed to hold on to the frame tightly and avoided being thrown out altogether. They kept their swift speed as they came on to the wooden bridge. Unwilling to slow and shorten the distance between them and the black rider, but the speed and the weight of the carriage made the rotten planks beneath them crumble and fall away completely. The stagecoach fell right through, down into the dry gorge below, onto the side where Penny had been half holding herself in. Her body was split in two under the weight of the coach as it impacted. Samuel hit the ground hard, and one of the horses landed on top of him, breaking his back. He lay there, unable to move or even think. Between bloody gasps of breath, he tried calling out for help, but only a small voice came out. His vision began to swim, and his eyelids closed. From somewhere above, he thought he heard the sound of hooves making their way along the road. The town of White Raven lay quietly in the night, as it had for many years before. Its buildings decayed, falling down from lack of use, overgrown and empty. There were no lights in White Raven, 
there were no sounds, no life anywhere, a ghost town. No one comes here, not even to pass through. None were ever deemed worthy. This story was written and read by Andrew Bate, with music also by Andrew Bate. Penny Dreadfuls from the Moth Sanctuary is an audiobook series by Moth Sanctuary Productions. You can subscribe to the series on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and YouTube. Follow Moth Sanctuary Productions on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or for more dark delights, visit mothsanctuaryproductions.com.